It is freezing cold here in North Texas. I'm talking single digits cold outside. But you know what's not in the single digits? The amount of money we gave you. The amount of profitability we gave you. The amount of winnings that we gave everybody for UFC Vegas 84 last night. My name is Angelo. This is We Want Picks. And I'm going to break down the entire UFC 297 fight card, giving you my picks, predictions, and bets. But before I do, let's look at the success that was UFC Vegas 84. Right now, betting Twitter, betting X is a graveyard of people that had the wrong calls, the wrong bets, and had too much money on Manel Cop. And then I guess that means you lose all the rest of your bets. Either way, Jacob and I dominated. My premium member safety parlay hit, his underdog lock of the week hit, our bets dominated. You got a 48% ROI combined between Jacob and I. I gave you 45% ROI. Jacob gave you 51% ROI. And you don't need to be a mathematician to know that those kind of ROI numbers, betting on any sport, let alone a sport as volatile as UFC, is absolutely insane. Hopefully, you are a premium member. Hopefully, you went to wewantpicks.com, clicked become a member, and you paid the 10 It's $10 for an entire month. If you signed up this week, not only did you get the domination that was UFC Vegas 84, but you're also going to get UFC 297. If you haven't signed up yet, you should. I don't know what you're waiting for. It's only $10 a month and you get access to every single thing we do. There are no tiers here. One of the things you're going to get access to is the safety parlay. The safety parlay remains a shining star of stability in the most volatile betting sport on this planet. It hits at a 70% event rate. The ROI on the safety parlay lifetime is insanely high. We have hit six or sorry, seven of the last eight parlays, five of the last six pay-per-view events. The safety parlay continues to be wildly successful. You can unlock this at wewantpicks.com. Click become a member at the top. It is only $10 a month. Our premium members continue to be some of the most successful people in this space. This is a small, small snapshot of what they did last night. Over $23,000 in winning tickets were shared with us from premium members alone. Here's a smorgasbord of those tickets. Our Discord is 100% free. If you go to our Discord, there is a channel called Winning Tickets. The only people that can post in that channel are premium members, and they just bombard it with the tickets that they put on the board. Premium members have access to everything we do, including the line movement tracker. This is going to give you the opening odds, the current odds, the win probability, and the line movement percentage for every single fight on every single card. You're also going to get the detailed data metrics and analytics, 38 columns of data insight and information that will help you find your spots, hopefully help you avoid betting spots as well. Premium membership is far more than just some bets. You're also going to get tools, insight, and information. You're also going to get a DraftKings optimizer. This will build DraftKings lineups for you. If you don't play DraftKings Fantasy, this may not mean anything to you, but I do encourage you to play DraftKings Fantasy, even if it's for free. It is a ton of fun, and it makes watching fights even more enjoyable. This DraftKings optimizer is preloaded with the best ownership numbers in the game every single week. And you're going to get far more than just this handsome face or big red. You're also going to get eight other analysts. When you log in to premium membership, there is a button at the top that says analysts in the menu. You click that. There is a list of all the different analysts at We Want Picks that are giving you picks for every single fight. Bets, round line leans, insight, write-ups, all of that 
is included. $10 a month, wewantpicks.com. You're going to get Artem. He's breaking down far more than just UFC. He's going to give you LFA, PFL, all of the regional shows. You're going to get the Pick Doctor. We have our own AI. The Pick Doctor is a human being. He's a neurophysicist. He has developed an AI. The AI is picking fights based solely off of data, analytics, and trends. You're also going to get the MMA Minute. This guy has got 30,000 followers on the Tiki Taki and Running Mouth MMA. There are three of them giving you picks, bets, round line leans, insight, and more. WeWantPicks.com. Click Become a Member. It's only $10 a month. That's enough of the paid plugs. Uh, this is just a request. Do me a favor. Follow our socials. We're trying to grow. We're trying to stay diverse across all the platforms. God forbid YouTube wakes up tomorrow and says, eh, I hate the UFC. No UFC content. Well, that would suck. So follow us on all the other platforms to make sure you have all the inside information. Everything that we do, it's at We Want Picks everywhere. YouTube, we have two channels, We Want Picks and Picks Nation. And finally, if you don't know, I do a vlog. For every single pay-per-view, we do a vlog. Film the day. I cook something extravagant for the friends. And we open mail on that vlog. If you want to send some mail to be opened, and then recorded and uploaded to this channel. Here is the address to do that. We have had shirts sent. We've had letters sent, which actually the letters are quite nice. And we have had uh, hot sauce sent, which sent me directly to the toilet. But I ate it. You sent it. I ate it. Here's the address to send stuff that we will open on the vlogs for every single pay-per-view. That's enough of the promo. What did I clock in at? About five minutes and 45 seconds for a promo? That's not so bad, guys. That's what pays the bills. I know you guys don't love the please become a premium member promo, but that's what pays the bills. We have about 3,000 premium members, and that's what keeps all this going. This expensive camera, this expensive microphone, all this crap. Jacob gets paid. He tells you he doesn't. Jacob gets paid. Anyway, let's go ahead and break down UFC 297. Opening up Canada's first card of the year, we have Malcolm Gordon taking on Jimmy Flick. Not the star-studded opener that you would expect, but... Could be a fun back-and-forth matchup nonetheless because you got Malcolm Gordon. This guy is a BJJ black belt. He's got some decent striking. He's got a really high striking guard. He likes to come forward. That does leave him open to get taken down, though, which is almost whenever people want because his takedown defense is only 9%. Ultimately, that's fine, though, because he is a BJJ black belt. That's where he wants to be in the fight. He averages almost two of his own takedowns per fight, but he's got a very low takedown accuracy of 30%. And he also has a very suspect chin. So his path to most fights is get it to the ground at all costs so he's not swinging, standing up straight and high. He's coming off that one-minute knockout loss to Jake Hadley. He's taking on Jimmy Flick. Also a very slick grappler himself. He takes a ton of risks to get the submission. He's got okay takedowns. He averages close to two per fight. His striking is stiff. He's got a negative striking differential of two to five, which means... For every two strikes he lands, he absorbs five. That is a CTE documentary in the making. He's coming off two bad losses in a row. The first was a knockout to Charles Johnson, who has no power whatsoever. And most recently, he got knocked out by Alessandro Costa. That's a little bit more respectable. Essentially, he did pretty well. Had a couple of wild submission wins. Then he had a two-year layoff. And before that two-year layoff, he was a dangerous grappler. He could strike long enough to get a fight to the ground. But since that layoff, he's a little chinny. He's a little slow. He can't seem to find his footing again. It's like the sport passed him by. This is a super close fight. I've sort of flip-flopped on this breakdown a few times. There's almost, these guys are carbon copies 
of each other. Both are chinny grapplers who have terrible takedown defense and mediocre takedown offense. I think Flick is the more dangerous grappler, and I think Gordon is probably the more dangerous striker. Gordon's UFC losses are better than Flick's in name. He lost to Hadley, Sumaderji, Albazi, submission to Makayev. I mean, those are quality losses. But I will ever so slightly lean Flick here, and that is only based off the grappling. We have two guys that want a grappler. One of them's the better grappler. So I'm just going to keep it that simple. If Flick is able to get past Gordon's absolutely incredible 9% takedown defense, I think he's going to have a pretty good advantage here. This fight could be over in one minute, as both of these men's last fights were. Or this could be a very sloppy, sloppy three-round mess. Flick is going to be the pick. Even though this is a home turf fight for Malcolm Gordon, he's the Canadian. The UFC said, who can you beat? This guy. So that's the matchup that they put together. Do not bet on this fight. These breakdowns, these picks, these bets, it's not just about who I pick to win. It's not just about where we put our money. It's also where we don't put our money. UFC Vegas 84, Nicholas Mata was a 3-1 to dog, knocked out Tom Nolan pretty quick. I didn't bet on Nicholas Mata. I even picked Tom Nolan to win. But in these videos, I was insanely clear. Nicholas Mata is a very good underdog. He's a good fighter. And he's fighting a UFC debut with almost no experience. Do not bet on Tom Nolan. And I got a whole bunch of messages after. Oh, thank God. Thank God I didn't bet. Thanks, thanks, thanks. That's what these breakdowns are about as well. I know everybody wants to, who'd you bet on? But also, who don't you bet on? Don't bet on this fight. Just leave this fight alone. I'm not even saying a specific side. Just don't bet on this fight. Too many variables, too sloppy. Keep your money. We have 11 other fights to choose from. Next up, at UFC 297, we have a Jasmine Jazzadivicious taking on Priscilla Cachera. I'll tell you right now, this is my most confident pick on the card. Just straight up. And it's Jasmine. She is a dog. I love Jasmine Jazzadivicious. She had a... I loved Jasmine Jasmine Davis. Only one time in the UFC has she looked like, oh boy, she got outclassed. Even in her last fight, which is a loss, she looked very good in that fight. She's a wrestler. She likes to come forward, push a pace. Her striking is just in your face, and then she's going to work takedowns. Solid clinch. She's going to control your body. She's going to throw heavy knees, and then she's going to work in takedowns. She is an accomplished wrestler. She's not one of these fighters that learned how to wrestle while taking up MMA. She was a wrestler accomplished great things in the sport of wrestling, and then said, let me try MMA. So you can count on her wrestling in these fights. She's got great hips, great scrambles. She'll shoot, she'll grind, she'll get you to the ground. She's coming off that close loss to Tracy Cortez where she run all those wrestling exchanges, but Tracy ended up being a little bit better of a striker. But that was a razor-thin fight and a couple tiny adjustments, and all of a sudden, Jasmine wins that fight against a pretty highly ranked, well-to-do opponent. She's taking on Priscilla Cachera. She is a powerful striker. She's got heavy pressure. She throws big, heavy punches. She's got real power for this division, but she can be knockout or bust. If you look at the stats, you're going to notice she has a striking differential of four to seven. She's landing four, getting beat on seven times. She's a bully-style fighter. She's not the more skilled fighter in basically any matchup, but she is tough. She is going to come forward. She's going to pressure. She's trying to break your will. This is sort of a bad comparison, but Priscilla Cachera is like a Jessica Andrade. It's a bad comparison because Jessica Andrade was the world champion. She has accomplished great things despite her, you know, random highs and lows. Priscilla Cachera is very similar in style. Not the better fighter, but usually the tougher, grittier, harder hitting one. She is coming off the submission loss 
to Miranda Maverick. Very simply, Miranda took her down, no problem. Jasmine will take her down, no problem. Very simple breakdown. If you can take Priscilla down, you can beat Priscilla. Jasmine could take her down. Jasmine will beat her. Jasmine's line is, uh, I think she's like minus 400 right now. I think, hopefully I don't look stupid here. I think she is parlayable. I think she's bettable. I think Jasmine Jasmine Devicious is, even at minus 400, some of the best value you're going to get on this card. She should dominate Priscilla Cachera here. Then we have another pretty fun fight. We have Johan Lioness taking on Sam Patterson. Johan Lioness is a grappler who can knock you out with anything. He's got a big check hook, a big overhand. His striking is not very technical, but he has very, very real power. He wings punches while charging forward. And as soon as you get comfortable striking with him, boom, lowers his level, drops, shoots a clean double right up the middle. Once it hits the ground, he's going to work for control. He's going to start pounding away. Everything he does looks like it hurts, but he's definitely on the slower side of the division. And he does have a tendency to brawl. He's coming off that quick submission loss to Mike Malott. Taking on Sam Patterson. This guy is long as hell. He's a striker. He's very, very tall. He's an insane six foot four. And while he does not use his length very well striking, I mean, he doesn't really manage distance that well. He does use it really well on the ground. On his feet, he's got accurate boxing. And because he's so long, he can have some power as well, right? That's just the law of physics. His takedown defense needs work. But as I mentioned, he uses his length really well if he is taken down on the ground. He's constantly just wrapping something up and looking for a submission. He's coming off that knockout loss to Yanal Ashmaus, where he was a massive favorite. Jacob and I both picked Yanal in that fight and bet on Yanal in that fight because you watch the tape and you're like, this dude gets hit. And yeah, Yanal's like short and chases, but Sam Patterson gets hit. And that's going to be the problem here. This is still a hard fight to break down. Both of these guys can be beaten. Sam's chin is suspect. Johan hits like a truck. Sam has slick BJJ, and Johan can get wrapped up and submitted. Johan's a slight favorite here. It's starting to widen a bit, and I guess that's going to make sense, right? He's got a few wins in the UFC. Everything he does is pretty good, right? He's okay everywhere. The easy answer is Johan has power. Sam Patterson gets knocked out. We just watched him get absolutely flatlined. So I'm going to go with the easy answer here. Johan Lioness is going to be the pick. I am hoping for a two and a half round line. Hopefully they give us a two and a half round line. I'm going to bet the under because Sam can finish Johan. Johan can finish Sam. Let's go ahead and bet the under there. Let's see what happens when those round lines drop. Those usually drop late Sunday, early Monday, and then Tuesday, the rest of the prop bets drop. So Johan's going to be the pick. I do think he will get to Sam's chin, but obviously, you know, it's not as if Johan is a uh, top 10 fighter. So you got to be a little nervous there. Then we have Jillian Robertson returning against Pollyanna Viana. Jillian Robertson is a grappler. People are obsessed with her grappling for some reason. Every time Jillian Robertson fights, everybody talks about, oh, she's an insane grappler, insane grappler. And she she literally holds the record for most finishes in the women's uh, flyweight division, I believe. She's making a bit of a weight class change. I could be wrong there, but she literally holds the record for most submission wins in her division. But that doesn't necessarily mean that her grappling is going to work in every single fight. We just watched what happened when she fought Tabitha Ricci. But either way, Jillian Robertson is a grappler. She's averaging about two takedowns per fight. She has nine submission wins. And I mentioned that record for the flyweight division. Her ability to get women to the ground and then submit them is very important because her striking is not good enough to hang in most fights. And as I mentioned, she's coming off that loss to Tabitha Ricci where she was outstruck and gave up three 
takedowns. Her jujitsu off her back is not the same as her jujitsu when she's on top. She's taking on Pollyanna Viana. Pollyanna's a grappler with okay hands, but a very dangerous ground game. She has four wins in the UFC. All of them are by finish. She is absolutely a finish or bust fighter. She's either winning early or likely losing a decision. She sets a hard pace. She does struggle with takedowns. She only has a 33% takedown accuracy, and oftentimes she relies on her opponents to get it to the ground. She is coming off a first-round submission loss to Eisman Lucindo. I'm not a huge fan of uh, the Jillian Robertson fight style. Just typical grappler, negative striking. I can't strike, desperate to get it to the ground. I, I just, as a wrestler, I hate that. I hate that style, especially the takedowns aren't great either. And I will never understand. I usually do this rant when Mackenzie Dern fights. I will never understand somebody who can be that good on the ground and not really possess the skill set to get it there. I don't get it. It's like, what are you doing in the gym? Are you only grappling? You're not wrestling? You're not striking? You're not improving those other... You're only working on the skill you already have? So I'll never understand that. Jillian Robertson is far better than that little baby rant I just did. But you can't trust her to strike... And her takedowns aren't exactly amazing. She should be good enough to beat Pollyanna Viana here. I would say with medium confidence for her to get it done. She should be able to get it to the ground, potentially get a finish here. Jillian's going to be the pick. I don't know if she's going to submit Pollyanna because Pollyanna's a very good grappler herself. But I do think Jillian's going to get this done. Pollyanna's got pretty cardio as well. So this may be a, an interesting trap type line. If they'll give us two and a half, I don't know what I'll do with that because Jillian can win by submission. Pollyanna is tough. Pollyanna's a good grappler herself. Eisman Lucindo submitted Pollyanna, but I think Eisman's sort of a different level than Jillian as far as just inside the cage. So honestly, this could be a decent fight to watch and we'll see what happens here. Then we have uh, Serhei Saidi taking on Ramon Tavares. This is a rematch, by the way. Seri knocked out Ramon on the contender series pretty early into that fight, but Let's go ahead and break this down anyway. Seri Saidi is a tall, long striker who can grapple as well. He's a powerful guy who, despite being so tall and long, does not use that range very well on his feet. He likes to plot forward. He'll keep that jab in your face, and then he will throw big when he sees openings. He can be taken down, and he can get his legs chopped, but even when he is taken down, he's got solid enough BJJ off his back to pull off a win. Ramon Tavares is his opponent. It was his opponent a couple of fights ago. And they're running it back. This guy's a powerful striker. He keeps his hands low to protect from takedowns. And then he likes to counter and sort of strike his way in. He's got incredible power, very fast hands. He stands southpaw and absolutely launches his power left with incredible speed. He does a great job mixing shots to the body and the head while also pumping out a jab. His takedown defense is just okay. And he's got a decent getup game if he is taken down. I mentioned this is a rematch. Saidi won the first fight. He knocked out Ramon Tavares. But there was some controversy as to whether or not that was an early stoppage, which is how I guess we ended up here with the rematch. If Ramon had a leg kick heavy offense, he would be the clear pick because Saidi's legs are exposed and he does almost nothing to prevent them from getting blasted. Eventually, someone's going to notice that and then go to town on those legs, but I don't think it's going to be Ramon. He is all hands, and I think he's going to lose this fight. With that being said, I don't think I'm going to lay out minus 180 on Serhi. Probably just watch the fight, even though it is a rematch and he won it already. Uh, in theory, it should be easy money, but I, I'm probably going to leave this one alone because they are technically UFC debuts, and you know I'd like to see a little bit more from Serhi before I decide to throw money on him. 
Then we have fan favorite Charles Jordan taking on Sean Woodson. Charles Jordan is a fan favorite for a reason. His nickname is Air for a reason. This guy flips, swirls, comes forward, does all the things, and puts on a show 100 out of 100 times that he's in that cage. He's a fun come-forward striker. He's also got a great chin. He's incredibly fast, has great timing, and he is willing to take chances with those spinning and flying attacks. Not the most technical guy in the world. But he is one of the most exciting. He's an absolute dog who will keep fights ugly and in your face. He's coming off back-to-back wins, the most recent being a first-round guillotine over Ricardo Hamos, where he showed how dangerous he can be, but also how little takedown defense he has. Charles Jordan can get taken down pretty much no problem. He's taking on Sean Woodson. This guy is a long, lean boxer who had an actual boxing career before moving over to MMA. I don't normally care about reach, and I just broke down three fighters on this card that are super long, have a ton of reach, and don't know what the hell they're doing with it. Sean is not that guy. He's a professional boxer. He uses his reach really well. He manages distance really well, and he's one of the few fighters that actually knows what he's doing. Given how good his hands are, most people are going to try to take him down, but that's also not an easy task because Woodson has an 80 3% takedown defense. He's coming off a pretty bizarre win over short notice opponent Dennis Bazooka, where he defended a takedown. Then he started shooting his own takedowns for some reason, but he came forward while looking uncomfortable. The striking exchanges, it was a weird fight for sure, but all of a sudden, Sean Woodson turned into a grappler and didn't look like he wanted to be striking. Charles Jordan's sitting at a pretty good favorite right now, two to one, two and a half to one on most books. And I get that he's a dog. I get that he's a threat on the feet and on the ground. I don't know if he should be that big of a favorite. Woodson is very long. He creates problems for a lot of people, both striking and grappling. And not to mention that all of a sudden, we saw him working in takedown. He's a takedown threat all of a sudden. And we watched Charles Jordan get taken down a bunch. It's not crazy that Sean Woodson comes in here, keeps the distance, has a few sloppy takedowns against a guy like Charles Jordan, who does not have very good takedown defense. The pick is going to be Jordan because he is such a dog. And he has a couple different ways to win this fight. He might win this fight just by coming forward, staying in Sean's face, and keeping this fight ugly. But this is a close fight. This is a really good fight and a fun fight. Charles Jordan is going to be the pick. But let's not count out 10-1 and Sean Woodson, who just fought a very, very good grappler and somehow outgrappled him. Then we have Brad Katana. Taking on Garrett Armfield. Brad Katana has won two different seasons of the Ultimate Fighter. He is a two-time Ultimate Fighter winner. I don't know if anybody else has ever done that. He just won the Ultimate Fighter 31. He won that in a fight of the night war. And he also won season 27. So he's a two-time Ultimate Fighter champion. He has a submission over Bryce Mitchell which is an accomplishment in and of itself. Style-wise, he's a mobile striker with power and volume. While he is primarily a striker, he is aware enough to transition to wrestling when he needs to. He's got great low kicks, solid takedown defense, and plenty of cardio. He's taking on Garrett Armfield. This guy's a technical striker who doubles up his jab, and he switches his stance really well. He's always working forward, but he stays controlled, and he doesn't take too many risks. He does a good job kicking the legs before coming up top. He's got solid takedown defense, and while he does not typically look for offensive takedowns, when he does, he's got clean power, and he works them in well. He's coming off a knockout win over Tashiomi Kazama, where his striking looked clean, and he touched him up early. 
This should be a really fun striker versus striker matchup. Both guys are busy. Both have cardio. Both can drop their opponents. Neither guy is likely going to be looking to wrestle. I am going to pick Brad here, though, because I think his footwork and volume can be the difference. I think he can stay mobile. I think he can stay busy. And when Garrett slows down later, I think he's going to take over. This could be a 29-28 decision type situation. Right now, Brad's pretty much a two-to-one favorite. My gut wants to say, oh, I think those odds are wide, but I tend to be a very conservative better. If you go back to the beginning slides, you see the bets I put on the board. You see the ROI I gave you. You see all the profitability I gave you. Look a little closer at those bets. I mean, they're pretty solid bets, meaning I'm not doing third round knockout for plus 900. That's just not who I am. I'm a pretty conservative guy when it comes to betting. So my gut wants to say, ah, oh, Brad, two to one favorite. It's a little wide. But you think about it a little bit, that makes sense. The guy is 13-2, and two, a two-time Ultimate Fighter winner. That's a tournament. He beat multiple people more than one time to win that. He's a busy guy. He can strike. He can grapple. He can do all those things. Brad Katana should win this fight, and I just talked myself to being even more confident in him. Probably going to throw a bet on him when I'm done recording this video. If you're a premium member, Make sure you link your Discord. That's how you get alerted the instant we place bets. That three-week break, Jacob and I were nonstop throwing bets on the board. If you go watch the betting video I did for USC Vegas 84, check the line movement on every single one of those. If you waited to the last minute, signed up, showed up, tried to text some of the bets, the odds that you got versus the odds we put on the board were very, very different. Timing matters, line movement matters. We want picks.com. Click become a member at the top. And then go to your account page and link your Discord to get the alerts to your phone. Before I move to the main card, here's your call to action. Go watch my Fight Foods vlog. I filmed a vlog for all the pay-per-views. We had a three-week break, so I filmed a vlog during my Christmas, whatever my family did for Christmas. A couple of funny things in there. It's long, but it's a whole week's worth of content. Watch the damn vlogs is the point. Watch the vlogs. I got to pay an editor to edit it. Cost me a fortune to film it. Watch the vlogs, please, for the love of God. They are fun. And wholesome. I'm a family. Despite my angry old man demeanor in these videos, I'm a nice family man. Watch the vlogs. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Also, become a premium member. You're going to unlock the safety parlay. This, I'm very proud of this. I will brag about this until the roof comes down. The safety parlay crushes 70% winning percentage. 70% on the most volatile betting sport on planet Earth. This is the most stable, the most consistent bet in this space, objective fact, period, end of story. Go to wewantpicks.com, click become a member. You can unlock the safety parlay and literally everything else that we do for only $10 a month. Not $10 an event, not $5 for a Patreon. $10 a month, you get a wild, interactive, easy to use website with tools, bets, insight, information, anything you could ever imagine. And then you link the Discord and get alerts to your phone. Wewantpicks.com. Click become a member at the top. It is only $10 a month. Okay, that's it. That's the last promo. Let's go ahead and break down this main card. We have Arnold Allen taking on Mosvar Evloyev. This is one of those fights I go back and forth on. I don't go back and forth on who I think is going to win. I go back and forth on how confident I am in that person to win. But we got Arnold Allen. This guy's a very good striker. He loves coming forward. He's got that upright stance. And that helps protect him when he is outside of range. But then he comes lunging in and he's got solid power. He's got nice footwork, good hand speed. He mixes in takedowns really well. And he's got a few sneaky submission wins like you saw in his UFC debut. 
Takedown defense has evolved over the years and it sits solid at 76%. He has not been taken down once since 2018. He has defended 15 takedowns in that time span. He's coming off that main event loss to Max Holloway, which is a very typical Max Holloway fight. You just piece this dude up with tons of volume. He's taking on Movsvar Evlaev. That whole haven't been taken down since 2018, defended 15 takedowns. That's going to be at risk here because Mozvar Evlev is a killer. He's a fantastic wrestler who uses his striking pretty well to set up those takedowns. He keeps his punches long and he manages range. Then he lowers his level, shoots the leg, shucks the head, and he keeps that right hand extended and runs right through it. This is very different from what most people do. Most people work against the cage and no, Mozvar will shoot takedowns. He'll throw, keep it out there, chase the leg, and actually work setups. And those little setups. And his incredible chain wrestling is why he's averaging almost five takedowns per fight and why he has a total of, total, total, total of 33 takedowns in seven UFC fights. He's coming off that one-sided win over Diego Lopes where he almost tripled the strikes. He had four takedowns and over eight minutes of control. There are people out there, including Jacob, that would disagree with my assessment of Mosvar. I feel he's phenomenal. A lot of people, like Jacob, are going to say his wrestling's not that good, his BJJ has holes. And while I agree he has some control issues, right? You don't average almost five takedowns if you can keep somebody on the ground. I will disagree on the other points. Him not finishing Diego Lopez in his last fight, despite being a minus 1,000 favorite, says more about how good Diego is than it does about Mosvar. Mosvar is not dangerous. He's a wet blanket, but he's a very effective wet blanket that has proven impossible to beat. If you think Arnold defends all the takedowns, then your pick all day, every day should be Arnold Allen here. Go grab him at underdog money. But if you think he gets taken down, as I do, then you need to go with Mosvar. I'm still trying to figure out what to do here because I do think Mosvar wins this fight. I just, how confident am I in that? Am I going to throw Mosvar Evlaev in the safety parlay? I don't know. I don't know. There's a little peek behind the curtain. I'm not sure yet. Because Arnold is very good. And he does have good takedown defense. And all of a sudden, Mosvar's got a couple of sloppy shots. I don't know. So we'll see what happens there. But I do think Mosvar Evlaev wins this fight. Hopefully we get a, well, one and a half round line would be a gift. But hopefully we get decent odds on over two and a half. Because... That's the safest play here. Arnold's not going to be knocking out Mozvar Evlaev. Mozvar Evlaev is not going to be finishing Arnold Allen. If Mozvar wins, it's wet blanket. And if he loses, it's because he, you know, had a couple of good takedown exchanges early and then got desperate as the fight went on. Think about the Fareed Bajrat Taylor Lapalus fight. This could look like that. Fareed early was having takedowns, having success with the takedowns, but immediately Taylor was standing up. And the commentator's like, oh, Fareed's slowing down. No, he wasn't slowing down. He is prepared to chain wrestle nonstop. I think that's exactly how this fight goes. That was a 30-27. I think that's how this fight goes as well. Let's see what the round line is before I throw some money on it. Then we have a pretty controversial fight. When I say controversial, it's not controversial. We have a fight that has split the fan base. We got Chris Curtis taking on Marc-Andre Barolt. Or Chris Vertis. If you're me and you're doing 60 graphics a week and you had a typo, you're going to write Chris Vertis instead of Chris Curtis. And if you're going to bitch about it in the comment sections, then go watch somebody with tapology in the background. That's the laziest shit. Would you rather 
the best graphics in the game with all sorts of insight and information and data and an occasional typo or some lazy bones with topology in the background, just reading what's on the screen. Okay? Just a little bit of grace. That's that's all I ask for, a little bit of grace. We got Chris Virtus taking on Marc-Andre Barreau. Chris Virtus is a clean boxer, great takedown defense, solid power in his hands. It comes from clean, short punches that catch people off guard. He works in nice leg kicks. He will touch up your body as well. He takes his time with his shots, but he's always moving his body to stay out of the way of something. He's primarily a counter striker. And unfortunately for him, that can work against him because he's given up minutes. He's waiting for you to come forward. He's just backing up, backing up, waiting. He is coming off that no contest to Nasruddin Imovov where he was getting touched up and taken down. He, I, it looked like he was about to lose that fight. He's taking on Marc-Andre Barreau. This guy's a well-rounded fighter with solid kickboxing, solid takedowns, and jiu-jitsu. Marc-Andre's typically looking to pressure forward and wear you down on your feet. He has an impressive striking volume with almost six significant strikes landed per minute, but he is also hit with more than five. He's coming off a fight of the night win over Eric Anders where he defended 10 takedowns and had a knockdown. I am going to pick Marc-Andre here. I'm going to lean Marc-Andre here. I really do like Chris Curtis quite a bit, but I do worry about the counter-striking in Canada against a guy constantly coming forward. So on one hand, Marc-Andre is going to play into Chris, right? He's going to move forward, and that's what Chris wants. On the other hand, Marc-Andre is not a pussy. This guy is tough, very tough. Even if Chris blasts him a few times, Mark's going to keep coming forward, stay in his face, keep the pressure up. And if Chris is just backing up left hook, backing up left hook, the judges may hate that. This is Canada, and this is a Canadian. And I do think we have to factor that in. I see this going to a decision, and I'm not sure the judges are going to love Chris sitting back and waiting. If Mark keeps that pressure, if he avoids that big hook, he will have to avoid it because, I mean, that has put out a bunch of people. If he avoids that big hook, he can absolutely win this fight the exact same way that Jack Hermanson beat Chris Curtis. He's currently plus 150-ish, and I think that's solid. I threw a quarter of a unit on it, and I'm going to keep an eye on that line because if we get better value, if as the days go on, and all of a sudden he's plus 200, I might throw a little bit more. Make sure you have your Discord linked on your premium account so that you get alerts if I do throw more money on there the minute that bet is placed. But I'm going to lean Marc-Andre here. I think the forward pressure, the nonstop, all of that are going to be a problem for Chrissy V in this matchup. Then we have Neil Magny taking on Mike Malott. This is supposed to be a showcase fight for Mike Malott, but Neil Magny's a tried and true vet. Neil Magny's incredibly well-rounded. He seems to be the UFC's go-to guy when you know they're trying to give a young up-and-comer a tough vet and test out a prospect. He's very tough. He's very experienced. He's skilled everywhere. Mostly, though, a busy striker. He does have solid grappling as well with an average of more than two takedowns per fight. He is 21-10 in the UFC, and he has fought a who's who of the division. His last three losses were Gilbert Burns, Shavkat Rachmanov, and most recently, Ian Gary on two weeks' notice. He's taking on Mike Malott. I think he's going to be the Canadian wonder boy here. Not wonder boy as in the karate guy, wonder boy as in the UFC is looking to, hey, look at the 32-year-old handsome guy in the great white north. Let's make him a big deal. And that's exactly what they're doing here. He's a well-rounded guy. He's got loose striking. It always allows him to box and kickbox comfortably. He's technically sound. He manages his range well. No specific background. 
So you can expect him to strike. You can expect him to grapple. You can expect him to wrestle. He has four fights on the UFC banner with two knockdowns, a knockout, and three submission wins. Most recently, a submission win over Adam Fugit in that second round. And every time I see Neil Magny on a card, I think, man, he's really good. And this is going to be a tough fight. And you know what? When he beat Anthony Pettis, when he beat Robbie Lawler, when he beat Jeff Neal, that was a true statement. That was a true assessment. But these last few years have not been kind to an aging Neil Magny. Even in his win over Daniel Rodriguez and Philip Rowe, it wasn't that he won those fights. His opponents lost those fights. Philip Rowe could have beaten Neil Magny no problem if he made the right decisions. He just kept making trash decisions in that matchup for some reason. Neil is good. He has all the tools, but this has to be a Mike Malott pick. This is the matchup in Canada for a reason. Mike can wrestle, he can strike, and the only real concern I have is what happens if this somehow ends up being a war because we haven't seen him in a war yet. It's just been pretty easy for Mike Malott, but Mike Malott's going to be the pick. Probably going to have a good amount of action on him. Uh, I don't want to be overly exposed. He is 32, not 22. He does have 11 fights, not six fights, but I'm still going to be a little... This is the best fighter Mike Malott has fought, and that should be factored in when you're assessing how much risk you're going to put out there. If you got a money line on Mike, and then you have Mike in three different parlays, that's a lot of exposure to one guy who's going to be fighting his toughest opponent so far. So Mike's going to be the pick. I will have some action on him. Become a premium member at wewantpicks.com, then click on the account page, click link Discord, so that you can get alerts if and when I play some action on Mikey Mal. That's not his nickname, and that was a really stupid thing to do. Then we have the co-main event of the evening. We have a fight for the vacant bantamweight championship. Manda Nunes walked away and said, let's let these other bitches win something. So we got Raquel Pennington taking on Myra Bueno Silva. Raquel Pennington is a tried and true vet at this point. She has been fighting the top of the division for about 10 years and this is her second title shot. If you look at her record, she has only lost to some of the best women on planet Earth. Her last losses have all been to former champions. She's going to march forward with strikes. Then she's going to control you. She's got a very boring style because she's not really looking to get you completely to the ground. But she's going to remove any tools that you have, get rid of the striking distance, work you against the cage, and just dominate you with control and pressure. She's got fantastic cardio. She is good everywhere. She's coming off that very close win over Ketlin Vieira where she had the more accurate strikes, but she did have two failed takedown attempts, and she gave up almost a round of control. She's taking on Myra Bueno Silva. She's a pretty good striker, solid power, good kick. She likes to charge forward and then throw everything from there. She's a good grappler as well, but like so many others, like my little rant from earlier with Jillian Robertson, her wrestling sucks. She does not have good enough wrestling to get it to the ground when she needs to. So good wrestling, no. Good jiu-jitsu, yes. Can she get it to the ground to use that jiu-jitsu whenever she wants? No. But if it's on the ground, she is very solid. She is a pretty dangerous woman, one of the more dangerous ones in the division, especially on the ground. She's coming off that main event win over Holly Holm where she was being pressured against the cage, but she scooped up that choke to start the second round. That was overturned. You will see that overturned on her record. That was because she had Ritalin in her system, the ADHD drug, not steroids. And that is technically a banned substance. I am surprised that the betting odds have a clear favorite in this matchup. Genuinely. I see, I, I mentioned this a few times, but just in case you're new here, I don't look at the odds when I do my notes and make my pick. Then I look at the odds. 
Because I don't want to be influenced. You, you see somebody's a three to one favorite. You just have that in your head. Oh, this person's supposed to win. And it's, you know, you, you kind of remove some of the objectivity out of it. So I don't like to know the odds. I, I look at the matchups. I break down the fight. I do my notes. I do all those things. Then I look at the odds. I was surprised to see that we had a clear favorite here. This screams split decision. Raquel has the tools and the experience. Myra has the power and the submissions. I fully recognize how dangerous Myra is. And her last fight was a testament to that. It seemed pretty clear, at least after one round, that she was probably going to lose the decision. She lost that first round on the judges' scorecards. But as soon as she saw an opening, she took it. She beat the former champion in Holly Holm. I don't see that happening here, though. I think Raquel has too much experience, too much pressure, too much grit. And I think Rocky can win this fight. Experience matters more than anything, especially in these super close fights. And Rocky may have more high-level experience at 135 pounds than anybody else on this roster. So I'm going to go Raquel Pennington. She is the pick. I do worry just a touch about the stress that an eight-month-old baby brings. She does have an eight-month-old baby at home. Doing a training camp, dealing with that. Like, that's, I got two kids. I can barely do this, let alone a training camp. And I don't need a training camp to beat the shit out of Jacob, so we're fine there. Don't worry about that. I do have a quarter of a unit on Raquel Pennington right now. This is another monitor the odds situation. I got her at plus 135. I'm going to keep a close eye on it. If we get better value, I'll put a little bit more on there. Because I do think the experience is going to matter. This is a tried and true vet. Her second title shot. Nothing should bother her here. Where Myra, the biggest fight of her career, she was losing her first main event. Obviously, she won it. But she was losing with the cage control and all of that. That's exactly what Raquel Pennington does. Rocky's going to be the pick. Then we have the main event of the evening. We have Sean Strickland taking on Drikus Duplessis. Controversial pick. People in the comment section going wild both directions. South Africans, like, blind love for Drikus. Any criticism of Drikus whatsoever are going to be, well, but, but he had a DVA. He, he only fought with one nostril. No, 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 but he, you don't understand. Uh, relax. Everybody relax. Everybody relax. We're going to break down this fight. This should be a great fight. I am looking forward to it. At first, I hated Sean Strickland for jumping over the chairs in the stands a couple of events ago. Now I'm like, all right, yeah, good for him. That was fun. At first, I did hate it, though. Because Sean Strickland's, it's all shtick. It's all shtick. Like, especially now that he's the champ. Oh, look at me. I'm Mr. America. Cowboy. I, it's, it's, I don't know why it's a little annoying. I liked it a few years ago when it felt more genuine. He's just sort of a wild dude saying wild shit. Now he's like riding motorcycles into his living room. It's like, dude, come on. Just be, people loved you because you were you. Now you're what you think people want you to be. Anyway. We got Sean Strickland defending his belt. Nobody thought those words would ever be said. Blue-collar striker. He somehow weaseled his way into the middleweight championship. Style-wise, he's a pretty interesting striker. He walks forward, throws a ton of punches. He's not particularly powerful, even though he did just drop Izzy. He's not even insanely fast. Somebody's like, how can you say he's not fast? Shut up. He's not that fast. He's not that fast, but he is busy. He is accurate with his strikes. He's got insane striking defense, and he is just going to come forward, pour on the volume, stay in your face, stay tall, work in, and make stuff happen. That's what he did to Izzy. Obviously, he dropped Izzy and then did that, but he's not going to change who he is for anybody. He has the exact same fight style in every single fight. He also has fantastic takedown defense at 84%. 
And he's coming off the absolute destruction of one of the best middleweights of all time where he dropped Izzy early and then just poured on the volume for 20 more minutes and it looked like he can go for another hour and a half. He's taking on Drikas Duplessis. First of all, the irony, it's not irony actually, that's the wrong word, but I love that Drikas got himself a title shot. Remember, I was there live at UFC Vegas, or no, UFC 290. Four, maybe I don't know. Whatever one, two, whatever it was. I was there live when Drikas beat Robert Whitaker. Wife got me tickets for my fortieth. Yes, I'm forty. I, looking this good at forty can't be easy. Anyway, I was there live when he beat Robert Whitaker, and I was there when he was just in the cage and Izzy just screaming the N word in his face, trying to bully him into a title shot. And Drikas turned down the title fight. He's like, "No, I need more time. I'm not gonna the most important fight of my career. I'm gonna take it on like a three weeks notice or whatever. I'm not doing that." And then Izzy and his coaches, you'll never get a title shot again. Turning down title shots is a mistake. You ruined your whole career. Now look at him. He's uh, probably 15 minutes away from potentially being the middleweight champion of the world. So I don't want to hear all that nonsense coming out of the Izzy camp. I also love the whole, I live in Africa, you don't. Anyway, there's a rant for you. Trigas Duplessis. He's a pretty good striker. He can work in takedowns. He's exciting to watch because of his explosiveness. He's got good leg kicks. Very good grappler who hunts for submissions and looks for stoppages on the ground. But his takedown defense could absolutely use a little bit of work. While he does continue to get cloudy wins, he is sloppy. He is sloppy. You guys cannot deny that he's not sloppy. He's a bit sloppy. He lacks certain techniques, but he has insane cardio, especially after the surgery. Oh, he can breathe through two nostrils now. I get it. I get it. He's got insane cardio and he will come forward. He will stay busy. He will stay in your face and he will work his way to a win bonus. He's coming off the massive upset over Robert Whitaker where he had a takedown, a knockdown, and he handily beat one of the best, most complete fighters in the division in Robert Whitaker. And this is an intriguing fight. And I am positive that no matter what side I am on, half the comment section is going to be on the opposite side. That's just the beauty of this sport. The fact that we all disagree on this fight is what makes this sport so fun. It what makes debating fights so fun. I have been a notorious underestimator of both of these guys. I bet against both of them in their last fights. And boy, did I look stupid. I didn't think either one of them were on the same level of their opponents. I didn't think Sean Strickland was anywhere near as good as Izzy. I didn't think Duplessis was anywhere near as good as Robert Whitaker. And they both not only won, but dominated those fights. The fact that we have Sean Strickland versus Drikas Duplessis for the belt is wild. And I'm going to give you my raw opinion here. I still think that Sean Strickland is a little bit overrated. He does have that in-your-face striking style, and it is weird enough to throw people off, and he's efficient enough to do that striking style for 25 minutes, no problem. Literally, he looks like he can do it for an hour or two hours. Is he elite? Is Sean Strickland the best middleweight on the planet? And that's what this belt is supposed to represent. I, I, There's no way he is. There's no way he is. Is Drikas Duplessis the best middleweight on the planet? No. Neither one of these guys are. Up until Drikas' last fight, he was sloppy. He was erratic. So I'm a bit stuck here. Because on one hand, I think Drikas can come forward, find the chin, maybe work in some takedowns. But he might gas. I understand the surgery. He's got two nostrils now. I get all that. But he might get. We've never seen Sean Strickland even take a medium-sized breath, let alone a deep breath. We have seen. You can say surgery, no surgery. We have seen Drikas get exhausted. Is he going to get exhausted in this fight? I don't know. 
I am going to lean Drakus here. I think if we're looking at the two of these fighters, we're looking at their skill sets and their body of work. Yes, Sean Strickland is on a nice win streak here. If you remove that controversial decision loss last year, if you remove that, he's got quite the streak going. Who do you lose to? Controversial Ryan Spann decision? And then Alex Pajeda, who's not only the middleweight champion, but then became the light heavyweight champion? If we're just looking at both of these men, I think Drikas have more ways to win. I think he's the more dangerous fighter. And if I believe all the nonsense about the surgery, now he can breathe. I don't know why I wouldn't pick Drikas. Why wouldn't I? He's got more power. He can wrestle. He's got cardio with two nostrils. Drikas should win this fight. Drikas is going to be the pick. But I think I have to be done counting out Sean Strickland, especially Sean's a favorite here. And if you buy into that whole, the champion has a 30% boost by being champ, right? They just get better overnight, like what happened with Leon Edwards. Then, you know, this is a close enough pick. And then, boom, you give Sean the edge for being champ. Who knows, man? But this is a great fight. I'm very, very excited for it. I am going to pick Drikas. I am going to monitor this line. I may throw some money on him. We'll see what happens. I'm going to, we have the line movement tracker. It's one of the many tools that we offer. And I'm going to monitor that line movement tracker to watch and see if I can get better money on Drikas. Drikas is going to be the pick, guys. Let me know in the comments what you think, who you pick. Be nice. For shit's sake. I love, but the, watching the comment section of MMA fans is always so funny because everybody speaks in absolute facts. Nobody's like, this is a close fight. Everybody's like, Taylor Lapalus by knockout. Anything else is wrong. You're stupid. You're an idiot. And then Taylor gets beat 30 27, and those people disappear forever. But all of a sudden, somebody wins after being wrong 100 times in the comments. They come back, told you, idiot. It's just, I mean, that's that's the internet. I'm describing the internet to people watching me on the internet. Anyway, let me know in the comments who you think wins, but also become a premium member. Go to wewantpicks.com. Click become a member at the top. You're going to unlock all the bets, all the picks, all the insight, the information, the tools. One of those tools is the 38 columns of detailed data, metrics, and analytics. Another one of those tools is the line movement tracker. You're going to get opening odds, current odds, win probability, and line movement for every single fighter on every single card. You're also going to get more than just me and Handsome Jake. You're going to get eight analysts worth of picks, bets, insights, round line leans, including the MMA Minute, Runny Mouth MMA, Artem, and the pick doctor who has developed an AI and is picking bites fights based solely off of historical data we want picks.com click become a member at the top it is only ten dollars a month